But I'm excited about our time in the Word this morning. Um, you, you, you may or may not know this, but the, the title that has been given to me for this session is Your Role in Planting a New Local Church. Um, now, if you get up and leave, we'll all know that, that, that you didn't know that, and you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa that's not for me. No, we're just, we're just playing. But your role in planting a new local church. And I, I commend you for coming to this session if you did that uh, knowingly, because sometimes messages on church planting can feel a little bit like those posters you see with Uncle Sam pointing at you no matter what dir- direction you are. You know, I want you. Um, but I promise you that the goal of this is not to, to try and convince you or recruit you necessarily to go on a church plant in the future, although I, I do pray that some of you may desire to do that. But really what I want us to understand is that regardless of, of where you're at or, or why you're here in regards to church planting, there is a role that every Christian has to play in church planting. It should matter to every single Christian. And in the first session that I taught, I was given the task of teaching on our role in the growth of the local church. I would encourage you, if, especially if you are considering planting, to go back and listen to that message because it really lays a foundation for this message because one of our roles in the process of the growth of the church is to be serious about planting new churches that are going to be doing the same things uh, in a faithful and a healthy way. So I I hope that after our time together, you will come away with a conviction that whether you stay in this local body or you choose to go and help plant another church, you have a role to play in church planting. Now, this message will naturally be more topical in nature. Uh, We won't be just in one primary text, but really applying the things that we've heard uh, throughout the weekend and, and really applying this idea of of how we can be involved in church planting. And there's three aspects of church planting that I want us to consider. The first aspect is the biblical case for planting. The second will be the role of those who sinned. And thirdly, the role of those who go. So the the biblical case for planting, the role of those who sinned, and the role of those who go. With that in mind, we're going to start with aspect one, the biblical case for planting Uh, Exhibit A there on your outline is the Great Commission, the Great Commission. Now, I know that uh, HB taught on the Great Commission on Friday night. If you didn't hear that, go back and listen to that. Also, I went into the Great Commission in the first message that I taught this morning, and so I won't go as deeply into that in this session, but you can go back and listen. I do need to make some key points, though, about the Great Commission because we can't talk about church planting and not talk about the Great Commission. Church planting flows out of the Great Commission. So let's just look at it briefly together. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, and we'll draw out some key uh, points here. Matthew 28, 18 to 20, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given, given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, a couple of key reminders about this passage and specifically how it relates to a foundation for church planting. One, this commission is for all of us. 
It's not for super Christians. It's not for apostles. It's not only for pastors and missionaries. This is your commission if you are a Christian. If you're a disciple of Christ, you're to be busy about the work of this commission, which centers on one primary command to make disciples. We're to be disciples who are committed to making disciples. Now, as it begins there in verse 19 with the word go, it's tempting to think that the emphasis is on the word go, but actually going is assumed. It's a participle. It's, a, it's assumed that all of us are going. Uh, not necessarily that we're all moving to a new place, but we're on the go with intentionality wherever we live to share the gospel. All of us are called to evangelism in that sense. But it means more than that because notice with the command being to make disciples, it is not telling us to go and make converts. But instead, it is calling us to call others to submit the entirety of themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a call to, to serve Christ, to love Christ, to commit to Him. And notice the participles that flow after the command to make disciples. We're to go out, make disciples, baptizing them, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Now, that's important because when you hear baptizing and teaching, you should begin to think local church. Local church should come to mind when you think about the Great Commission because it is twofold. We go out and we share the gospel with the lost that, that new disciples might be made, then we bring them into local churches where the rest of that commission can take place. They give public testimony to their discipleship by being baptized, a public witness. And then they're taught. They're taught to obey all that Christ commanded. And so church planting then begins really with an understanding of the Great Commission. That this is just what Christians do. Christians share the gospel. God saves people. And then we train them up. And we do it again and we do it again, and we do it again. It's an ongoing work. And remember, at the end of that commission, Christ himself promises, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That is, he's with us, strengthening us, and also it's because he's at work building his church that any of this happens or matters or bears any fruit. Our evangelism, our discipleship will not do anything if God is not working in and through that uh, to build his church. So exhibit A then is the Great Commission. Exhibit B is Paul's missionary pattern. Paul's missionary pattern. I'm not going to go to all of these texts, but I'm going to give you several verses to write down that you can look at later. But as you think about the Great Commission and then how that plays itself out in Acts, what we begin to see is that that became a movement of not only sharing the gospel, of course, it begins with sharing the gospel, but then of local churches springing up uh, everywhere that Christians went, because guess what? As soon as they come to know Christ, we've got to teach them all things that God has commanded. That's going to require a local church, and that's exactly what we see in Paul. Acts 13, verses 1 to 3, we see that Paul was sent out by a local church. Uh, local churches plant other local churches. Uh, we see that Paul planted autonomous local churches in each town in which he ministered. We see this in places like Acts 20, 17 to 18 with the elders at Ephesus. We see it in Titus chapter 1 
uh, verses 5 to 6, where, where he tells Titus, I left you in Crete for the purpose of, of establishing these churches, of putting in order what remains, namely setting up elders in each of those local churches. We see also that Paul trained faithful men continually to help establish those churches. We see that in places like 2 Timothy 2.2 2 and Titus 3.12-13. When you read the, the, the pastoral epistles, so First and Second Timothy and Titus, and when you read Acts and you begin to put all this together, what you see is this intentionality on the part of the Apostle Paul and others. That this was not just random, but they're, they're going out on an intentional mission to preach the gospel and to plant healthy local churches. And, and, and Paul is, is training men, and he's sending this guy here to help with that, and this guy here. Just go read his letters, and notice how often he says, okay, you're here, but I'm going to send you here after that, and someone else is coming to you. I want you to greet them. What's happening? Paul is training up men, and he is planting churches, and he's sending those gifted men to help establish those churches, pastor those churches, and set up other churches elders this is part of the new testament pattern this was not just something for the early church to be a part of it is the way the church has grown across the world and it continues to grow across the world we also see that there was strategy even in the towns and the places that paul went to again this was not not random paul didn't just sort of put his finger up in the air and feel the wind and go in that direction but we see that it, like places like titus three twelve. At the end of that passage, he is intentionally going to winter in a place called Nicopolis because Nicopolis was on a major trade route. It was a port city so that after the winter, he could immediately get on a boat and continue his mission. Everywhere he went and what he did was on for the sake of the gospel and the planting of more local churches. Now, all of that to say... How should this affect the way that we think about planting new local churches? Well, understand, not all of us are gifted or called to plant. In fact, the majority of you are likely going to stay in the local church in which God has placed you now. But I hope, even with just this short overview, and there's much more we could say, that you begin are beginning to understand, you know, I should care about this Thing called church planting. I, I should have a personal investment in seeing the gospel go forth and new healthy churches established because this is the New Testament pattern. And so while not everyone will plant, I think what we can say uh, dogmatically is that every church is called to pray. Every church is called to equip faithful men and every church ought to consider how they spend their money in the area of missions. There should be this emphasis in missions on the issue of church planting. Okay, we back? 
Go back. All right. The Lord really wanted you to think on that. See? What, what is your role in the, in, in the church planting? Now, every church ought to be praying, equipping faithful men, and, and intentionally spending their money in such a way that in their mission's efforts, the New Testament pattern is, is clearly seen. In addition to that, I would say every local elder board or elder team should prayerfully consider whether or not their church ought to be a sending church, whether or not they ought to intentionally plant uh, other local churches. You know, there, there is such a need. There's such a need. The work is not finished. You know, at the, you get to the end of Acts, and it's just the beginning. It's just the seed of the church as Christ continues to build his church. And, and if you... If you have your eyes open, you know this. You know this, especially in an area like ours where the population is as dense as it is. Let me just ask you, how many of you drive more than 20 minutes to get to this church? More than 20. How many of you drive 30 or more? 40 or more? Okay, you see, the, while I'm very thankful you're here, the elders are very thankful you're here, that should not be. It should not be that hard to find a healthy local church in close proximity to your home because this should be the normal pattern to just stand and preach the word of God. And so the need is great because the gospel needs to keep going forth. The world is still a lost and dying place that needs to hear the gospel. And it needs to happen because there simply aren't enough healthy churches. There are plenty of churches Okay, if you drive more than five minutes to get here, you probably pass at least one, if not maybe five other churches to do that, maybe 20 or 25. And so it's not the issue that there aren't enough churches, so to speak, but there aren't healthy churches committed to really following the New Testament pattern. And the more densely populated an area is, the closer those churches need to be in proximity. I mean, our church plant, Northlake, is, is not but 25, 30 minutes down the road, and yet Think of the thousands of human souls that exist between this point on the map and that point on the map. And the truth is, as, as the elders pray and think about locations, part of what makes that easy and part of what makes that difficult is you can throw a dart at the map of VFW and say, that'd be a good spot, because from the standpoint of need, it probably is. And so all of us ought to be passionate about this idea of church planting and that will manifest itself in two ways. One, all of us ought to exhibit that passion by participating in making disciples within our local church and community. You ought to have a heart for evangelism. You ought to have a heart for discipleship in this local body, first and foremost. Secondly, you ought to have a heart for helping ensure that new healthy local churches spring up that are supported well with qualified leadership to do the exact same thing in a different area. In other words, every Christian has a role to play. You're either going to be one who sins or one who goes, but those are the two options. The, the, the option of not caring or not being involved with the mission of the Great Commission going forth is, is not an option for us as Christians. So with, with that said, that's aspect number one, and we could do a series of messages on that, but I just wanted to get that framework in our minds. Now I want to talk very practically about this second aspect of church planting, and that's the role of those who sinned, the role of those who sinned. Because it's easy for us to spend the bulk of our time just talking to those who are going, 
But I want you to understand that if your plan is to stay here in this local church, which is a wonderful church and that's a wonderful plan, you also have a role to play. And I want you to understand what that role is. And we can think on this simply by thinking through the Apostle Paul because Paul was on both sides of the equation. He was a goer, he went out, but he also was a sender. And he was connected to these other local churches that he was not personally a part of. After he had planted them, he moved on to other places. So what do we see Paul doing? How did Paul interact as a sender? Well, the first role is to pray. Pray. You know, one of the greatest blessings of church planting for me personally, that when people ask my wife and I, what have you just really loved? The, the first thing we say is how it's made us pray. It has made us pray. I mean, I've always prayed. I've loved to pray. Uh, but church planting has made me pray. And not only has it made me pray, it's reminded me that God answers prayer. Ephesians 3 is in the Bible for a reason. That he's able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think. Just think far more abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think. I have seen that over and over again. And yet, you know, sometimes as believers, particularly those who, who hold to a Reformed theology, we can sometimes find it hard to pray, can't we? Believers ask me this all the time. They'll come up after church and ask me because they're struggling with evangelism or prayer based on this issue of God's sovereignty. And they're having a hard time reconciling the two. But understand, if, if your theology of sovereignty is keeping you from sharing the gospel and praying, then you need to examine your understanding of sovereignty because it's not the way that the Bible describes God's sovereignty. God is sovereign. Absolutely. That's why you're here. It's why I'm here. But he also uses means. And we are those means to go and share the gospel. And he calls on us to pray. He doesn't just call on us to pray. He beckons us to pray. He delights in his people praying to him. He wants you to pray. And the people you're sending out need your prayers. And the people staying need your prayers. Pray for the leadership of the sending church. Pray for the leadership of those going. Pray for the members of your sending church. Pray for the members of those going. But Christian, pray and pray with fervency. You know, I, I shared a passage in the first session that I want to read again because, again, Paul models for us what it is to pray for other Christians. This is Colossians 1, verses 9 to 12. Listen to how Paul prays for the Colossians. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we've not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who's qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Notice to how Paul prays for the sanctification of these people. He says, I, I'm praying, Colossians, since I've heard of you, that you would walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord. I'm praying that you would increase in your knowledge of God's will. I'm praying that you would stand all with all power, that, that you would be steadfast, that you would have patience, and that you would walk and live with joy. Is that how you pray for the members of this church? Is that how you pray for the members who are leaving this church to go plant other churches. We've got to pray, Christians, and we've got to pray like that for each other. 
And we will see God bless that kind of prayer in our own personal lives, in the lives of the sending church, and in the lives of those who go. There's a second important role for those of you who plan to stay, and that is serve. Serve. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11, as each one's received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. This is the call of the Christian. You know, when you plant a new local church, it's costly. It's costly. And it's not, it's not just costly in the area of finances, though that's certainly a practical aspect. It's costly in the area of people. Because that new church needs leaders. It needs official leaders in the sense of elders and deacons, yes, but it needs leaders just to, to lead the, the, the ministries of the church. Someone's got to lead the children's ministry and the youth ministry and, and the parking team and all the things. Someone's got to do that, and they're going to be coming from the sending church, which means the service they were giving there is no longer there. So there's a vacuum. There, there is a hole there of service that needs to be filled. And so as you begin to say, hey, we're, we're looking at planting another church, you need to be thinking about 1 Peter 4.10 and the fact that don't just think of them going to use their gifts. Realize you're going to have new opportunities to use your gifts in the sending church. And in order for the, the church that has been sent out to, to be supported well, it means that the sending church has got to remain healthy. It's got to be strong with strong roots because you're here holding the rope for us, which you've done very well, by the way. I could go on for hours about that. But part of that is by you doubling down and saying, how could I serve more faithfully so that we can hold the rope as a healthy church for another healthy church? I think I would say it this way. If you believe that God would have you stay, then stay on purpose. Stay with intentionality. Don't just view it as, oh yeah, they're going and we'll pray for them. But, but no, think, think it through and say, I believe God would have me stay here because I'm going to serve this local church. And I'm going to double down. Go to your elders and say, I know that as we send out these people, y'all are going to have service needs. And I just want you to know, I'm, I'm here. Plug me in, coach. Where would you have me serve? Is there a hole I can fill? Or, or, or is, is this stressing a certain ministry? I'll go there. Just tell me what you need. But that kind of attitude will so serve the body here as they hold the rope for those who are going out. Thirdly, give role number three is give now when you hear that your mind probably turns to money and and we'll get to that because that is a practical way to give but i'm thinking of giving in two different realms the first kind of giving is giving relationally give relationally you know the most difficult part of church planning for my wife and i was leaving you. Sorry. We, we love you. In fact, I often say, I left, it was my love for this church that caused me to leave because I love it so much that it has to be available other places. There have to be. There have to be other churches around the world that do this. This can't be a unicorn. This can't be unique. We need it so bad. But you know what? That's hard. It's hard to choose to leave people you love in a, in a place you love. I could have lived out my years here with happiness and joy and served fruitful years of ministry here, but, but that wasn't what God had on purpose. 
And what I learned over time is that that wasn't just hard for me. It was hard for all of our team. We shepherded them through the, the changing of those relationships. And you know what? It wasn't just hard for us that went. It was hard for you who stayed. It, it was relationally hard to see those people go. And what I found out over time is that in some ways it was even more difficult for you who stayed than for us who went. Because it's like this. Think of when you moved out of your parents' house, assuming you had a good relationship with them and enjoyed being in their house. When you moved out of their house, you likely had something else you were moving to. You got married or you went to school. There was something you were excited to go do. And so while it was painful to leave, you had your eyes set on something that you were going to go do. Your parents dropped you off, got back in the car, and cried. Right? And, and Well, some parents did. Some, some got back in the car and said, yeah. I've talked to some who got back in the car, and they cried. And they cr- because they didn't have some new thing to look forward to. They were just sad that you were moving on. And so all of this comes together then. And what it means that is if you're going to be a sender, is that you've got to do your level best not to make them feel guilty for leaving. Encourage them as they go. And it means not allowing yourself to interpret their excitement about the plant as an indication that they're excited to leave. You can be simultaneously sad to leave and really excited to go. And that's okay. And you know, when you think about this relational hardship of being separated from people that you love, understand that's thoroughly biblical. Listen to Paul's heart, Philippians 1.8. For God is my witness how I long for you all. Listen to that. God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Listen to Paul in 1 Timothy 1, 2-4. To Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you, even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. This has been the experience of Christians serving Christ for the sake of the gospel since the church began. Having to leave beloved relationships that you don't leave in spirit, but physically leave so that you both can continue serving in different places and so when you feel that deep affection for those who are leaving or if you are the one leaving understand that's right and that's good but understand that heaven is the place where we have the privilege of being together forever and we will be there and we will do that but that's not here the privilege we have here is to use the gifts God's given us to serve and to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel until he brings us home And what a day that will be. But there's a second kind of giving, the more obvious kind, and that is to give financially. You know, you can write down 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and read some principles there for giving. But as we think about giving in the New Testament, it really boils down to to four descriptions. We're to give regularly, sacrificially, as the Lord prospers us with joy. Say it again. We are to give in the area of, of finances regularly, sacrificially, as the Lord prospers us, and with joy. Because giving is an expression of worship to the Lord. Giving back, recognizing all we have comes from Him. The Apostle Paul knew what it was to be on the receiving end of tangible financial gifts. And we see him talk about that in places like Philippians 4. This is verses 14 to 18. 
He says, Nevertheless, you've done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit, which increases to your account. But I've received everything in full and have an abundance. I'm amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Giving is an act of worship, and it's a tangible way to support and encourage those who are going. But let me just give a quick word of wisdom as you think about giving in relationship to church planting and, and sending. Uh, I would just encourage you to, to talk to your elders and pastors often about where the needs are in the realm of finances because, because there, there are going to be needs. I know your elders have already communicated some needs to get the church plant started in this second round. Uh, but what can happen over time is everyone gets real excited about giving to the plant because it's new and exciting and we want it to go and happen that maybe our giving to the, the sending church begins to dwindle. And we can't have that happen because just like service, we need to hold the rope well. So just talk to the elders and say, look, we, we want to give. We want to give above and beyond but we're, what we've been giving. Where would be the most helpful place to best support both churches? And, and they will guide you in that as you give with wisdom and give generously. But lastly and fourthly, for those who sinned, and understand this is just a sampling. I could say many more things, but these are sort of the top shelf issues. Role number four for those who sinned would be encourage. Encourage. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. I would just say for, for all of us, whether we're going or, or sending, be thoughtful and intentional as you interact with others. And, and one of the ways that we can do this is, is particularly for those who are, are sending to emphasize as you talk to those going just the joy and the importance of what they're doing. H help them see that this matters and we're glad and we're going to hold the rope for you as you go. You know, our tendency is to try to relate to people uh, and, and sometimes in our, in our efforts to relate, we, we speak before we think. Anyone ever have that issue where your tongue is ahead of your brain? I, I have that often, that foot and mouth disease um, that we can all have. And here's my word of caution. You know, sometimes we can get ourselves in trouble because we start to tell a story about ourselves in an attempt to identify with something someone else is going through, only we forget to think through before we start the story if it ends well or poorly. And we don't remember until we get to the end of the story that, oh, actually, that, that doesn't encourage you, does it? Um, let, me, let, me, let me think like, like this. You know, someone comes to you and they says, will you pray for me? I'm having surgery next week. And you say, absolutely, I would love to pray for you. What kind of surgery are you having? And they say, such and such a kind of surgery. And without thinking, you say, oh, yeah, my uncle had that surgery. They say, oh, really? I haven't met anyone that's had this yet. You mean, how, how did it go? And you say, well, <laughs> he didn't make it. You know, <laughs> you know, probably should have thought more about that story. So all that to say, if you have a church planting horror story, maybe don't share it with everybody on their way out the door, right? Just, just keep it. Just keep it to yourself. Pray for them and encourage them as they go on to do that. Send cards, send text messages, uh, make phone calls, but tangibly encourage them because they're going to need that. And if you're staying, I would also add just be 
uh, careful again to encourage the leadership of this church as well. If you drop a, a card in the, the mail for the pastor elders of the, of the going church, then drop one in the mail for the, your pastor and elders here. Uh, because again, the excitement can kind of swell towards only the new church. And unintentionally, we forget to come alongside and say, actually, I'm really grateful for you. And that's why we're staying. Uh, so, so do both. That encouragement is needed. Now, with that said, I want to turn our attention to a third and final aspect here that where we'll spend uh, the bulk of our time, and that is the role of those who go, the role of those who go. And I was asked in giving this session just to share uh, really some practical, personal things that we've learned that are drawn out of the scriptures and also out of just the experience of having done this. And so I'm just going to, to lay out for you nine practical roles. We'll hit them quickly for those of you who go. But I, I want to say this was really hard to do because the truth is church planting is church planting. So that means if you would normally do something and it would be beneficial to the health of this church, then you just need to do that over here and it's going to be beneficial to that church. So these are really interchangeable. Everything that I've just said about the role of those who send really applies to those who go. You too need to pray, you need to serve, you need to give, you need to encourage. And the truth is, everything I'm going to say now to those who are going, there's also a way to apply that if you're staying. So don't check out uh, if you're going to be a sender in this process. But number one, for those who are going, evaluate your motives. Evaluate your motives. You know, it's very important when you consider joining a church plant that you answer this question honestly. Why do I want to join this plant? And that the honesty part of that's important. Really, why do you want to do this? Because the answer to that question will tell you a lot about your true motivation. And, and your true motivation will tell you whether or not you should go. Because when considering joining a church plant, it, it's crucial that you are going because you genuinely have a desire to be a part of this new work, not because you're discontent with something at the sending church. It's really crucial to evaluate that. Be sure that you're running to something and not away from something. Because here's the truth. If you're discontent about something here at the sending church, and, and you're thinking, I know, I'll just leave the church and go with the plant, the truth is you run the risk of being a detriment rather than a help to that new church plant. Go because you love this church, not because you're upset with this church. If there's something that's offended you or you're upset, what you need to do is go to a pastor or a leader with a humble heart and just express what's going on and let them shepherd you through that. But don't try to fix it by jumping ship and going on the plant. Go to the plant because that's where your heart lies to go and serve with that new work. Role number two. Pursue godliness. Pursue godliness. You want to be a help to that plant? Commit yourself to personal sanctification. Now, not, not when the plant starts. Now, commit yourself to personal sanctification. Do partners. Work on your marriage. Work on your parenting. Get in the word. Meditate on the truth. Fight your sin. Tarry long in prayer. Share the gospel. Do those things now. Don't view the plant as a way to jumpstart spiritual growth. Start growing and go in a healthy spiritual place. 
Go already as one who is serious about the things of the Lord. Because remember, the goal of church planting is to go and make disciples. And, and what's going to happen from day one is the elders of that church are not going to be able to personally disciple everyone that comes to that church. From the very beginning, that's going to be a bigger work than any one elder team could possibly do. And what they need is for the church to function in the way God's intended from day one, where the people in the church, the body, begins to serve and disciple one another. And if you really want to help the church plant, then you be in a place where you're spiritually healthy to step in and begin to pour into other believers. So commit to growth. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. So then, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who's at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What he's saying there is give your maximum effort in the working out of your salvation. That is towards your sanctification. And you can do that because God's at work in you to cause it to grow. 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So the role of discipleship then can't simply fall on the elders or even the leaders that the elders have identified. It is the whole church, all hands on deck, pouring into one another. Before we move on from that, let me just say, I don't want to assume that you're at a place to grow as a disciple because the truth is you may not yet be a disciple. And so if you've not yet come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've not turned from your sins and put your faith in Christ alone as your only hope of salvation, then that is where this must begin. Humble yourself before the Lord Jesus Christ. Commit yourself to his lordship and be his disciple and then begin to grow as a disciple so that you can disciple others. That brings us to a third role, role number three, go to stay. Go to stay. You know, there are a lot of church planting models available, uh, some of them good, some of them not so good. And, and, and one of those models is to send out a group of people uh, from the, the mother church who commit to be a part of that plant for some defined period of time, maybe six months, a year, whatever it may be. Now, now there's, let me just say, as a caveat, there's nothing sinful about that. I know some like-minded churches who I appreciate who have done it this way. I'm not saying that it's sinful or wrong, but I would say to you, uh, don't do it that way. I'm going to encourage you not to think of church planting as something you're going to dip your toe in. If you decide to go with the plant, then go with every intention, as far as you can see, of staying at that church, come what may. Unless the Lord moves you on or brings you home, that's going to be your new home church, and you're in it. You're jumping in with both feet with no exit strategy. That's the best way to think about being a part of a church plant. And let me explain why this is so important. In the first year of a church plant, you are laying the foundation for the future of that church. I mean, the foundation of that church is like wet cement. And part of that cement, obviously, Christ is the foundation of the church, the teaching. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about really the lifeblood of that church, how it will function. It's the people. The people are what matter. And so after the one-year mark, the, the leadership in that church will just have finished equipping and training and putting in place key leadership roles. 
And if 25 to 50 people leave the church simultaneously after one year of existence, you want to talk about discouraging. You want to talk about pulling the rug out from under a new church. Uh, that's a good way to do that. So, so don't do that. Go with every intention of I'm jumping in and this is going to be my new home church. And, you know, when we planted Northlake, I was shocked and overwhelmed to watch our people jump in. I mean, people, as soon as the location was announced, people started selling houses and buying houses and building houses and moving and becoming part of that community. I mean, I was just overwhelmed. We never told anybody to do that. We didn't say move. People just did it. They moved there to go and be a part of it because they wanted to jump in and be all in. And that kind of excitement was contagious, and it still is. It built a tidal wave of excitement about the church. Uh, and I pray that it built a tidal wave of further excitement about the church here as well. And that mentality proved to be crucial because four weeks, four weeks after we opened, COVID hit and we couldn't meet. We were four weeks in after our public launch and everything came to a screeching halt. Guess how many people left at that time and came back to Countryside? Zero. Not one. I mean, as soon as COVID hit, I, I thought I wasn't being pessimistic. I was trying to be realistic and say, you know, some folks may, Countryside is going to have more resources and maybe be able to help people through this more. And so there may be some folks that drift back, and that's okay. Zero. Everybody said, we're here. What, what, do you, what do we do next? Where do we need to go? Now, some people have drifted back over time for legitimate reasons, but nobody left because of COVID. Not one. Not one. I was astonished by that. And I can't tell you how that helped the church just keep going and really plow through COVID to the point that we came out on the other side healthier and having grown uh, at a time that we would have thought, you know, could have been a hard time for the church. And Countryside did the same. So I just give that illustration to say go. Hopefully another COVID's not on the way. But go both feet in with no ex exit strategy. Role number four, practice hospitality. Practice hospitality. 1 Peter 4, 7 to 9 says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. One of the blessings that you will immediately miss uh, when you move from an established church to a new plant is church buildings. We have a beautiful campus here that God has so graciously and providentially provided, and you ought to use every square inch of it and never look back. But when you plant, you literally have no official place to meet for anything. I mean, for anything. From let's have a one-on-one -on -one meeting to let's have a women's event to let's have a discipleship.